Lord, your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Shine your light in our hearts and send your spirit to enable us to walk in your ways. For Jesus' sake, amen. Good morning. A couple weeks ago, we had the joy of celebrating 200 years of mission in Hawaii. We were looking at how God had prepared the soil before the missionaries went. And last week, we learned how a church under persecution, the Chinese church which the communist government continues to repress, is still sending out cross-cultural missionaries. The question for you this morning is, what step will you take by faith? What step does a historic church with a legacy of evangelical leaders take so that it doesn't shrink back from God's mission to the nations? What step does a student, undergraduate, graduate, or faculty member, a manager, stay-at-home mom, retired person, what step do they take? As we hear these stories by faith, we might be overwhelmed or depressed by it. Hebrews 12 speaks directly to this issue of connecting faith and mission. Faith is the root and mission its fruit. If you take an axe and hammer away at the root, all you're left with is dead fruit. It's kind of like with your cell phone. When it's on zero battery, and you need that charger, you need to plug it into the power source, that's the connection. Otherwise, it doesn't operate. It doesn't function. And Hebrews 12 gives us some ways to connect the faith and mission by focus, by wrestling, and by pursuing, by focusing on Christ, verses 1 to 3, by wrestling with sin, verse 4 to 13, and then by pursuing grace, 15 to 17. If you have the Bible in front of you, please take a look at Hebrews 12. Focus on Christ. Therefore, since we are surrounded with a, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race with perseverance, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured a cross and sat down, disdaining the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In the movie business, there are many different roles. One of them is a specialized cameraman, camerawoman, called the focus puller. And their job, when the actress comes across the stage, is to pan her and to ensure she's in sharp focus. In a similar way, believers are to keep Christ in sharp focus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he moves. He's on the move. A hundred years ago, most Christians were in, were in North Europe and North America. Today, as we've heard, nearly two-thirds of all believers are in Africa, Latin America, and Asia. It's only increasing. 
George Whitfield quipped in his journals, the 18th century evangelist of New England, Jesus walks quickly. You have to keep up. Keep Jesus in sharp focus. Jesus was fully man. He was the one person in all of human history, from birth to death, who 100% kept the Ten Commandments. In our discussion, contemporary, in our dis contemporary discussions about what does it mean to be human with technology and all these advances, Christ is the perfect specimen. He is fully human. He is what it means to be human. But also, he is fully God. We read about the faith of the saints. They were commended, but Christ, he wasn't just commended, he was crowned. Hebrews 2, 9. He was crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, we, he might taste death for everyone. Hebrews tells us Christ, he was the royal son, the exact representation of the invisible God, sustaining all things by his word. He was the royal priest, superior to angels, superior to Moses, superior to the law, superior to the tabernacle, superior to the Old Testament tab for sacrifices. By his one act as the royal priest, one act, he opened paradise for the nations to come in. He opened the gates of paradise so that by faith and repentance, all the peoples of the world may come into the very presence and heart of God. And he is the one person who encourages us on our race, in our journey in this life, the few days that we may have. And he did it through the cross. For us today, the cross is decoration, a piece of jewelry, a sign on a flag. But back then, it was different. The cross meant shame. The cross meant shame. We've invented our own ways, perhaps through social media, to shame people. But back then, crucifixion meant public humiliation. One of the most powerful and the wealthiest men in the Roman Empire in the first century BC, Crassus, had 6,000 slaves crucified publicly on the main road into Rome. He was sending a message across the empire. This is what happens if you rebel. And Christ scorned the shame. And that's relevant to us because in our race, we are to look to Christ to keep him focused, sharply in focus. And yet we get encumbered, entangled, distracted. It was John Wesley's mother in the 1700s, a remarkable woman. She had 19 children. And she was a world-class theologian. She defined sin as whatever weakens your reason, whatever impairs your conscience, whatever obscures your sense of God, whatever takes away your relish of spiritual things, whatever gives your body more authority than your mind, that is sin to you, however innocent it may appear. The sins of some are obvious. The sins of others trail behind them. And Christians are quite good at straining at gnats and swallowing camels, of not seeing the log in their own eye and before taking out the speck in their neighbor's eye. 
of perhaps being easier, more quickly to confess an outburst of anger or a little white lie, rather than deep-seated prejudice or idolatry or control or power issues. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, sin should be treated like amputation, gouging out a limb or a part of the body. Keep Jesus in sharp focus. Second, wrestle with sin. Verse 4 says, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Wrestling was like the elite sport in the ancient world. The Greeks and Romans adored their athletes, much as we do today. Their physique, their stamina, their suppleness. And yet, wrestling back then did not abide by any real rules, with no weight classes or time limits. And Cicero said, there's really only one way to classify a true athlete, and that's someone who's seen their own blood. And the believer, the believer is in a wrestling contest. And the adversary is like an Olympic athlete on the attack. The Lord warned Cain in Genesis 4.9, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. You must master it. The Apostle Paul, Romans 7.11, confessed sin seized the opportunity through the law. It deceived me, and through the law, killed me. The believer, then, is not only in a wrestling contest, but on a kill mission, a kill mission against sin. And that requires training. Training is not pleasant at the present time, but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who've been trained by it. And don't you think, don't you think the Son of God the royal son, the priest king, the one who sustains the universe, who learned obedience through what he suffered. Don't you think that if he had to learn from suffering that we have something to learn? And it's not, it's not simply through an online webinar or a week-long or a two-week-long retreat. This is a life-altering, lifelong process our Father loves us too much to let us stray, to persist in our sin. He'll use the mountaintop experiences and the valley experience, the difficult people in our lives, the intractable problems in our life. He'll use it all to create within our character those harvests of righteousness and peace and the presence of Christ in our life. All of that sounds exhausting. And it is. Many of you know, maybe you don't know, but I was born and raised in England. And when I was 13, my parents packed me off to boarding school, Shrewsbury School in Shropshire. It's a different Shrewsbury than Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. <laughs> I've lost contact with the school over many years, but recently got reconnected with one of my teachers, Adrian Struve. We started writing to each other, kind of old school, handwritten letters. And Adrian, in his sort of scratchy ballpoint pen writing, it's sometimes hard to make out what he's saying, but it's usually pretty readable. And we write about our lives, 
A couple days ago, Adrian wrote me a note. He was telling me about what was going on in his life. And he commented that he'd been reading from the scriptures, in fact, from Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse 3, consider him who endured such hostility against himself that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then Adrian wrote, it spoke to me. I had been asking the Lord to take me. Next month, I'll be 94. And I'm very weary. But then, I canceled that prayer. <laughs> and I asked to be reinvigorated. So whether you're three or 93, cancel that prayer and ask to be reinvigorated. Keep Christ in focus, wrestle with sin, pursue grace. It was the author J.I. Packer who defined grace as God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who can't lift a finger to save themselves. Grace is God sending his only son to die on a cross to go to hell so that guilty men and women can be reconciled to God and received into heaven. Grace is what it's all about. Grace is the criterion for our community. Grace is the basis for our mission. Grace is what's on the line. So why does he say, watch out that you don't lose grace, you don't miss grace? There's a mission component there that the whole world would not miss the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we can apply it to ourselves. How can we miss out on grace? Verse 14, he says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You can trivialize holiness. Any Christian community that actively disregards God's holiness and God's mission to the world will eventually drift away. Deuteronomy 29, 19 describes such people who bless themselves in their own heart and say to themselves, we'll be safe even though we persist in our stubborn heart. Yes, you can miss grace by trivializing holiness, but also, he says in verse 15, see to it that no root of bitterness grows up and defiles many, causing trouble. If you have a broken relationship, that is festering, that will be an occasion to put grace at risk in your life. You can also miss out on the grace of God by seeking blessing without repentance. Verse 15 to 17, Esau sought the blessing but was rejected even though he had tears. He was seeking the blessing. He wasn't seeking the person who gives the blessing. He had prioritized his earthly needs above his divine inheritance. Yes, you and I, we can miss out on the grace of God. But there's another way. There's a different path. It's not just try harder. It's not do your duty. It's not be free. It's not be free to be me. It's humbly, by faith in a great God, to step out into his mission. His mission is for all the nations. His work is in all of history. His desire is a God-shaped hope for the world, a God-sized vision 
for all the nations. And he invites us to participate in it. Today at Park Street Church, we sense a new season of life and mission together. We're asking the question, where is the Lord already tilling the soil? Where is the Lord wanting us to sow the seeds of the gospel that might bear fruit, not only this year, perhaps, or next year, maybe, maybe in five years, or 100 years, even 200 years? And so out of our global priorities of sending the gospel where there are very few churches, Bibles, or Christians to the unreached, or across the Islamic world, where the light of Christ does not shine brightly, or in those languages that over 2,000 that still yet do not have the revelation of Almighty God in their heart language, or among internationals who come here from restricted access countries. Among all our global priorities, we're so humbled and excited to match what we do locally with what we do globally, what we do globally, what we do locally for city engagement. Kimberly Morrison has heard this call to help us figure out how does the gospel reach the wealthy, the rich, the powerful within one mile of this building? How does the gospel impact those who are marginal, poor, weak, and forgotten in our community? And we're excited and anticipating what God will do in Japan. 127 million people, less than 1% Christian, how does the gospel take root in that culture to transform it to be what God wants it to be? So people are connected with God's promises, his new covenant, his love, his grace. And we're inviting you personally and prayerfully to take a step of faith. There's a great card in the bulletins that you may have had a chance to look at. And it's got a number of different suggestions. They're not exhaustive. Perhaps God is nudging you today, quite simply finding out who are our missionaries and where are they. Or maybe it's God moving your heart to serve in the city, to volunteer, perhaps with the homeless on a Thursday evening or other ministries. Or perhaps it's to join a support group for one of our missionaries, a Barnabas team. Or maybe, maybe the Lord is stirring you to say, hey, I don't really know too much about this shift of global Christianity. How about signing up for the excellent course, the Perspectives on the Global Christian Movement? Or even more risky, if you've never taken a trip overseas to serve Christ, perhaps next year there'll be an opportunity that you want to step into, to risk stepping out. Yes, there's risk in faith. Otherwise, it's not real faith. And there's a cost. As we look at these new initiatives, we're looking at our budget going up. We're looking at an increased need for financial resources, but it's not only financial resources, it's, it's an increase in prayer. It's an increase in investment, in time, in energy, in vision, in passion. So, so together, we are aligning ourselves with the mission of God, with His purposes for the world in all history. At the end of the book of Hebrews, there's a perspective on faith and mission. Chapter 13, verse 12. Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Now let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. 
For here, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking forward to the city that is to come. You have a choice, two roads, two paths, outside the city, outside the camp, outside these four walls, like Abraham. By faith went out, not knowing where he was going. Why? Because he was looking for the city with foundations. Or inside the city, inside the camp, inside these walls, like Esau, seeking the blessing, prioritizing earthly concerns over his divine and heavenly inheritance. You have a choice. You can walk by sight, or you can run by faith. Let's bow our heads and pray.